Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Take your Bibles, please. John chapter 18. We'll get there in a few moments. John chapter 18. The question this morning is, so what is Christmas all about? What is Christmas all about? If you were to ask, I suppose, different groups of people to answer that question, they would come up with different answers, especially if you ask the very young. They would, no doubt, tell you it's about gifts, Christmas is, and Santa, and elves, and going to grandma's house, and time off from school. A few would say Jesus' birthday, I'm sure the more spiritual. When our daughter was about four, she thought Christmas was about the day that it was supposed to snow. Of course, we lived a little farther north. It's a greater risk here or chance that would ever happen, but we thought maybe this year with the cold weather. But she thought it's just it's when God sends snow. And I told her, now, honey, it may or may not happen. We lived in Indiana at the time, and sure enough, that Christmas it did snow. And she was so excited. We had to get out and play in the snow, and she was tromping around. And I, I was kind of back there with her, and all of a sudden I look at her and her face is buried in the snow, just buried and still. She's just, and I thought, well, did she trip, fall over, faint? What happened? And she pops her head up, and uh, she's got snow all over her face. And she said, Daddy, I thought you said snow tasted like ice cream. (laughs) It doesn't. Well, I had told her that we had made ice cream with snow in our lives, and she was hoping that it all tasted like vanilla ice cream. It didn't. There's, you have to doctor it a little bit, but let's say we transport a different group of people uh, to a, 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 perhaps a mall here in America. Let's take them out of the, the Amazon rainforest and br- drag them all the way to a, a mall, a big mall in Atlanta, and uh, it'd be their first taste of Christmas. And after the, a few hours in the mall, we would ask them, so what is Christmas all about? And they would say, it's about colors, red and green, and decorated trees, and lights, and busy people coming and going, buying and selling, gifts and traffic, and angry looks. Ever notice that at the mall? Nobody's happy. Everybody's on a mission, right, to get that last present. They might exclaim, please take us back to the jungle. (laughs) Maybe you feel that way. Take me away. Uh, I feel that there ought to be an award for anybody who tries to travel Jonesboro Road this time of year. I just think there should be. If you could finally make it from one end to the other, you ought to get a prize. And some of you may be thinking, I can't wait for this just to be over. The overspending, overcrowding, overeating, I'm over it. Maybe that's you. And the question again is, what is Christmas all about? What does it mean to you? Maybe you are more theologically mature. And you were to answer the question, why did Jesus come? Why did the angels announce such a birth? Why such a fuss? Why did wise men travel some 900 miles to see the special child? What was this all about? And you would say, I'm sure you would have great comments if you've been around church, Christians very long, you'd say to fulfill prophecy. Isn't song say, to bring joy to the world? Maybe you would say to die for sinners, to lead us to God, to atone for sins, to do the will of the Father. 
to usher in a new dispensation called the church age, to work miracles, to inspire us and teach us about God. All these things are good. Let me just say he did not come to just boost sales down at JCPenney or the mall or spread cheer or to elevate your mood, nor did the first Christmas ever mean that in the ensuing years we would be led to have big parties, decorate trees, drink cider and eggnog, and make cookies that look like snowmen. That wasn't why he came. Although you're thinking, some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, don't be the Grinch that steals Christmas. Why do preachers always take the joy out of Christmas? Well, to set the record straight, he didn't come to do those things, commercialize Christmas. And I do think, in a sense, many of our commercial traditions have hijacked the true meaning of Christmas. I pulled up the first uh, window uh, on my screen this week to study a little bit, and underneath there on that Google page, uh, there was that little phrase, Santa is coming, track his journey across the world. We talk about the Easter Bunny, and uh, many times peanut butter and football tend to bury the truth about why Jesus came. I wish there was that little phrase on that opening page in my computer. Jesus is coming. Track his journey across the word. What is most exciting to you about Christmas? And isn't it great? Don't stop having your family gatherings and don't stop having your Christmas parties, but don't forget that Christ is essentially why we celebrate. John 18 is the answer for this. And turn your Bibles there if you're not there already. John chapter 18. And let's begin reading back at verse 29. Again, this is at the end of Jesus' life. He's about ready to be crucified, actually, and he's on trial. Uh, one of the many spurious trials foisted upon him by the Jews. And Pilate went out Unto, uh, unto them, those who were in the courtyard, and said, What accusation bring ye against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, he would, uh, we would not have delivered him up to thee. If he was not a criminal, we would not have brought him to you, Pilate. Then said Pilate unto them, uh, Take ye him and judge him according to your own law. Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. That, he, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus did not deny. He simply said, Sayest thou this a thing of thyself, or did others tell it to thee? Did somebody else put this in your mind to ask me? Of course, he knew the answer. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Uh, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world, for if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from, then, not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Here's a verse I want you to look at. Act thou, uh, excuse me, Art thou then a king of the Jews, or a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king to this end. Listen now, to this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world. 
Here's the answer to the questions I've been asking this morning in the introduction. What is Christmas all about? That I should bear witness. What does your Bible say? That I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate, shrugging his shoulders, said, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and saith unto them, I find in him no fault at all. To this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. The whole Bible really is about me, is what he's saying. I am come to validate everything that was said about the coming Messiah. And everyone that is of the truth, verse 37, heareth my voice. If you love the truth, you will love God. And Pilate, who is less than ten steps, I'm sure, away from God at the time, turns his back on Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the God of gods, the very God in flesh. He walks away being that close to the answer of what is truth. It's me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He walks away and looks at the crowd, shrugging his shoulders and turning from Christ with a sneer and a scorn. What is truth? Who can know it? And he went out, the Bible says, the saddest words in that text, away from the person of truth. And I'm sure that Pilate today, suffering in hell now for over 2,000 years, I wonder if he has told others there, I was this close, I was this close to the truth. And I still missed it. The question this morning for all of us, what is Christmas all about? Have you been this close to the truth in this quote-unquote Christian nation have never figured out. The reason Christ was born was to display, and this will be where we spend the most of our time this morning, the truth was displayed in the person of Christ in the incarnation. The coming of Jesus Christ was to reveal to us the truth <laughs> and to secure in our minds without any shadow of a doubt that he was born to bear witness unto the truth. Jesus, I remind you this morning, was on trial for claiming to be God. And here at the end of his life, and that's quite a claim. If you're going to claim to be God, you better be a person who is truthful in all your ways. And here was the first person that ever lived that never at one time was disingenuous, never at one time failed a promise, never at one time was untrue or cut corners in tr on truth or hid a little bit or exaggerated, or flattered, or made any misstatement, misquote. Here was the first person that was truth personified, truth incarnated. And at the end of his life, he said, that's why I was born, that I might validate everything promised about God. You look at me, Pilate. I and the Father are one. I am God. I am king of the Jews. I am king of the world. I am king of kings. And Lord of Lords, how many of you, raise your hand, I dare you, if you've lived a life without ever hiding the truth, without ever lying, without ever, ever turning a corner, cutting a corner, stealing a little bit on the truth, Jesus Christ was the only. I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg. And he shared an illustration, even, of course, some of you know him as a preacher on the radio. He uh, preaches up in Ohio, 
And he says, all of us, there hasn't been a, preachers included, struggle with living the truth. He tells a story on himself. He said it started when I got a pizza that cost me $56. Now this was a few years ago. He said the pizza was only 10 bucks, but the speeding ticket was 46 at the time. Then one afternoon, about a week later, I was driving home. Just a week later, and the traffic was snarled. Some of you know about snarled traffic. And I thought, I'm not going to wait on this mess. So I did a right-hand turn through the Pizza Hut parking lot around the Dunkin' Donuts, and I zipped out on the Highway 91. I looked into my rearview mirror and saw the flashing lights and was pulled over for the second time. I knew the routine. The officer put on his hat, got out of his car, came over to my car. I rolled down the window and I tried to look very pious and contrite. He started his speech about not cutting through private property. Now, if you know Alistair Begg, you know him, him to be from Scotland. He said, I blurted out, in Scotland, we all do that. In fact, in Scotland, it's recommended. Any run-of-the-mill individual can wait day in and day out in a big line, but only the creative uh, can, can cut around the corner and zip through hidden parking lots to be on time for their dinner. Furthermore, he said I, to the officer, I'm in deep trouble because it was only a matter of days ago since one of you guys pulled me over for, this, for getting a pizza and then driving too fast. The officer was unimpressed. He says, give me your license, please. So he handed over his license, and the officer went back to his car. And he said, you know that horrible feeling when you look in the rearview mirror and see if he's riding you a ticket or not? He said, I talked to myself at that moment, this preacher talking to himself. He said, there's plenty of ways to get out of this. He said, I could have been going through the parking lot to pick up a pizza. I could have. Maybe I could tell him that. I could have been going for donuts. So when he comes back, I'll just tell him I was going to get a pizza and I changed my mind. Now he said, this is called lying driven by fear. I knew if they ticketed me twice in eight days, I was going to have to go to church in a taxi. I was going to need a limousine service to take me to church. He came back and said, you know, you were not exactly meandering through that parking lot. You were flying, so it's obvious you weren't stopping for pizza. I said to myself, I'm glad I didn't use that lame line. I said, yeah, I was flying through it. I became honest. And then he said, take care, Mr. Begg. He gave me my license back. We will never seek to tell the truth until we know the truth, and we will never live the truth until we embrace it. What is truth? Jesus Christ is truth. We have a problem, all of us do, that we cannot in and of ourselves cure. We are dishonest, all of us, incriminated by the ninth commandment, thou shalt not bear false witness. All of us fall short there, don't we? And it is when we meet Christ, Jesus is able and willing to take our lies and change them to truth, our deadness into life, our darkness to light. And you shall know the truth. Jesus Christ and He will set you free. John 8, 32. Truth, said Emily Dickinson, is as old as God Himself because truth is His twin identity. God is not something or someone that just declares truth. God is truth. It is His personality. He is the source and he is, in fact, in his essential personhood, truth. So in a manger, he displayed truth to us in the flesh. Because for 4,000 years, you think about it, for 4,000 years, 
We were getting snippets, snatchets of truth, glimpses of truth here and there through the patriarchs and the covenants and all the festivals and the feast days and through the miracles and the prophecies. We were getting little pieces of truth coming our way and, and, and it was all through a veil. Christ himself was behind a four-inch veil in the tabernacle and in the temple and there he was. It was not that he was trying to distance himself from us, but we didn't understand him in his fullness, in his full manifestation. And so we just got all these glimpses of truth for 4,000 years. The prophecies were added together, and we were getting a growing picture of who God was. But when he came, he was manifest, displayed to us in the flesh. And he gave us all kinds of hints about who he was, didn't he? And I thank, I'm thankful for that. In creation, we, we saw him displayed, didn't we? We sensed his presence. The heavens told us and declared the glory of God. You think about God trying to give us clue after clue to who he was. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Did you know that your eyes can only take in about 4,000 stars? But God... You think about this now, God has made trillions upon trillions. Why the surplus of stars that we can't even see? That's just who God is. And God has a name for every one of those. God could have made just a dozen or so, but he didn't. Galaxies unknown and untold are still out there undiscovered. And they're all held in place by an invisible hand. Who holds them there? Even if you don't know God, you can look up at the stars and understand that there's someone out there bigger than you are. Every planet orbits precisely, I'm told. I wonder who keeps them there. The migration of birds. I was coming in the other day, early in the morning. I had a, little, a few minutes to get out in the woods and meditate and hunt, so I did that. And I came back in early in the morning, and I looked up, and over my, our house... Uh, there were blackbirds flying in formation. Well, it wasn't a great formation. It wasn't like geese. But they were coming over our house in droves, hundreds upon thousands. And I looked at my watch I, because they kept coming. They kept coming. Have you noticed this ever at your place? Uh, this is the time of year when they kind of move around up there. And so I began to look at my watch for 10 minutes solid. This, what do you call them? Flock, herd, host of blackbirds just kept coming. I didn't know where they were going. I wonder if the first bird in line knew where they were going. Of course he did. God was directed. They have a... That's directed by someone. Amazing amount of birds in migration. Then the cycle of rain to rivers, rivers to oceans, oceans to clouds, and then back to rain again. The mystery of a single grain of wheat that's dropped in the ground. In Kansas, we saw that's just a single grain of wheat producing... All that uh, wonderful harvest. How is a baby formed in the darkness of his mother's womb? Even the Niagara Falls thunder and the morning skies declare it. God is great. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Even if you don't have a Bible, nature itself declares that history again is a second to the glory of God. There is a name. Did you know that history is divided by the name Jesus Christ, the name that is greater than any other name, higher than any other name? Everything is divided before Christ and after Christ, before his death 
and after his death. What other name, what other figure in human history holds the great, deep meaning and significance to all that we think and all that we do? Everything, time is measured by the coming of just one person, Jesus Christ. Then what about the voice of reason? Truth finally displayed itself in the manger, but God sent us the clues. Nature, and then of course history and reason. The Bible, did you know, even if you do not hear this morning, you do not believe the Bible, you might even think that Christians are anti-intellectual, that faith is something that you put in some notion out there that God really can't be seen, so He can't be proven. Did you know that reason itself ought to declare to you that there is a God? Did you know that? God is reason. Come, He says. All you skeptics, come. Let us, what? Reason together. You don't believe in the truth of a God. The Bible is not anti-intelligence or reason. Use your mind. Put two and two together. This is God's challenge to everyone who is doubtful. Think about it. What are the chances that the complexities of human life or the genetic code are the result of a big explosion somewhere out yonder, followed by millions and millions of years of trial and error? What sense does that make? Skeptic Francis Crick wrote this. He says he had to admit, he said, the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost, almost a miracle. So many are the conditions which would have to be satisfied to get it going. Yeah. Though you or I may not be nuclear biologists, nanotechnologists, or molecular biologists, we have to know that if there is so much design in the world, it is only reasonable to expect that there is a designer. The lower we dig into the core of the earth, the higher we look into the space and skies, we are amazed that there is order in all that this, the design and order all points to the fact that God is there. I am told, I am told that every, and I've never tried to figure this out or how they figure it out, because every, every time you try to take a snowflake and put it under a microscope, it always melts. But somebody did this. I am told that every snowflake and they're getting a lot of that up north, bless their hearts. Every snowflake has a different design. I don't know. Somebody with too much time on their hands figured this out. <laughs> but they figured out the probability that uh, every snowflake is unique. The probability that that could happen is 10 with 2,500 zeros behind it. That's the probability. And someone also with a scientific mind said this, if you have 10 with just 111 zeros behind it, that's called an impossibility. So someone up there is creating snowflakes at an alarming rate, <laughs> astounding rate, and he's much smarter than you are. God indeed is a God of miracles, reason points to God, yet in nearly every institution of higher learning, unreasonable professors are telling the brightest of young minds that chance plus time equals everything. A 
while all of these professors know a dirty secret, that there is no record of a genuine mutation occurring in the natural environment that has been beneficial. What is that called? That's called willful blindness to the truth that there is a God. So reason itself withdraws its case against God. She, in fact, points to the existence of God, and she is joined by the prophets. There are 127 prophecies about the coming of a Messiah. And these are written some hundreds of years, some thousands of years before Christ came, and they are fulfilled to the exact detail in every point by the coming of the little Christ child. You know the truth was displayed in the manger when he came. The prophets were so exact and precise about it. Daniel said, 483 years after the return of the exiles from Babylon, he will come to the day. Micah said he will be born in Bethlehem of Judea. Isaiah said he will be born of a virgin. David said, Psalm 22, he's going he's to be crucified at the end of his life. And there was no, no form of execution known at the time called crucifixion. So creation, history, reason, the prophets, all are clues to the coming of the truth that was displayed by Christ. And then... Wouldn't you have liked to have been an angel who got that assignment? I want you to go down. We're done with clues. Amen? We're done with clues. Angels, come here. I want you to go down, angel band, and tell them that Jesus Christ is born today. Start with shepherds. Sleepy shepherds in the Judean hillside. Tell them. For unto us this day is born in the city of David. What? A Savior. Truth manifested. Truth displayed. Truth incarnated in that little manger in those old gnarled, calloused hands. I'm sure if Mary was gracious enough, she said to those visiting shepherds who surprised her at the manger, Yes, you may hold my baby. This is what we've been waiting for. This is the one. Thousands of years of clues and glimpses of truth. This is truth incarnate. This is truth that made accessible. This is truth made convenient to us. No longer do we have to go through the priesthood to get to the... Here He is. He's going to live on our streets. He's going to feel what we feel. And yet He's going to live a life of impeccable holiness and truth without error. He will never speak a word out of season. He will never say anything that is not right because his name is righteousness and he is the truth in flesh displayed for us. Oh, what a glorious moment that was when Jesus came and became the visible incarnate picture of truth for us all. And the, tr the sad part about it, folks, is that we can celebrate Christmas. We can celebrate Christmas and never adore that one. Get caught up in our traditions and our, maybe our, our things that we love to do and our favorite football team and our favorite recipes. And, and we can just forget that He was made to us the God in flesh. And He came to be the answer, the validation of everything that was spoken by Him. I... 
I know that we can, this can happen to us. I know it can. Because it happened to the religious folks in Jerusalem. Remember? The Pharisees, they came seeking. Of course, the wise men came. And what did the Pharisees say? Nobody knew more Scripture. Nobody had memorized more Scripture. And when, and when, when Herod asked them, where, where is he that's born, king of the Jews? What are the wise men talking about? He said, they were, they were immediately, they, what did they say? You've got to go to Jerusalem. Because that's, that's what Micah told us. You've got to go. They knew exactly where he was going to be born. The time he was going to be born. And yet they did not walk five miles to see him there. Do you know that just like Pilate, the end of Jesus' earthly life, turning his back away from the truth, being that close to it, do you know the greatest danger for us is to be this close to the truth and never adore, never worship Never be grateful. And I, I just want you to know that it's, it's very possible to see the truth displayed and not be drawn to it, not to care about it. Well, quickly, let's finish up. The truth will be discerned at the judgment. Here's the warning to us. <clears throat> the truth will be discerned at the judgment. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, what you, you finish the verse. After this... The judgment. I, uh, I know that in my own heart and life, it's easy to know a lot. And uh, here, comes the, here comes these religious leaders out to hear John the Baptist, remember fiery John out in the wilderness preaching about Jesus Christ. He's the forerunner. He's the one trying to alert everybody the Messiah is here. And in Matthew chapter 3, I think it's so important uh, if you've got a moment, let's turn there, Matthew chapter 3, and uh, we'll read a verse or two. He doesn't pass out visitor cards when these religious folks come out. He doesn't promise them a free meal. He doesn't. He just gets right in their face. Verse 7, <clears throat> but he saw many of the Pharisees. These are those the truth seekers, so, so the, the, the repository of all the truth, the law and the prophets. They knew it all, and they came to criticize and he uh, looks at them coming, he says, O generation of vipers, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bring forth therefore fruits meet for repentance, and say not, think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. Oh no, we went to Bible Baptist Church. We've got a heritage. We know who Christ is. We know the answers. I say unto you that God is able of stones to raise up children of Abraham. He says, be careful that knowing the truth, you never ever respond to it. Truth is, will be discerned at, at the judgment. 1 Corinthians 3.13 speaks about the Bema seat, but there are other judgments as well. Can you imagine how sad it will be if God will have to meet us there in one of the judgments and say to us, depart from me, I never knew you. You uh, did many marvelous things, wonderful things in your life. You did. But you have never known me. You've never really known me. You've never known the truth, received the truth, trusted the truth, and lived the truth. God sees our hearts today. He knows if you're a fake or real. Sitting here this morning, you look great from this point. But I wonder if the truth has ever penetrated your heart. If you've ever had a heart and a desire for truth. You've been transformed by the truth. These were guardians of the truth, but they didn't know God. They went out in the wilderness to hear about John preaching about the Christ. Christ was among them and he missed, they missed it. 
they were abusers of the truth. I wonder how many Sunday school teachers, church members, deacons, ushers and elders, pastors will hear these fateful words, depart from me. You are so close, like Pilate, to the truth. So close, but you never, ever came to faith in Jesus Christ. You never did. I think about the first fateful steps to an eternal punishment, that hallway of fire. And at the end of that hallway, I'm sure you can hear the screams of the damned who will be there forever and ever about people who have been in church and around good truth all their lives, but never received the person of truth. An eternal punishment after neglecting all the evidences that God had placed around them. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God with pounding heart. Can you imagine the first two or three steps to an eternity without Christ? Can you imagine that? After having all the benefits and the blessings of being around God's people, around God's Word, to reject it in your heart, to profess and pretend, to live a lie, to be a fake inside, and never really to trust the person of Christ, to love Him, adore Him, to receive Him as your Savior. Can you imagine the first three or four steps to an eternity in a place that's dark, hot, where there's a grinding of the teeth, the gnashing of teeth, and there is this eternal regret. Somebody said, one preacher said, the worst part about hell is to have a fully informed conscience. It will be the whip that will whip you for eternity to think about the fact that now you remember all the times you made excuses and turned away from and didn't respond to the promptings of truth in your life. Maybe one of you is seated here this morning And you've been around God's people all your life. I mean, you've read the material. You've read the tracts. You even have a copy or two of the Bible. But there's no desire in your heart. There's no change in your heart. There's no fruit in your life. In all your life, you've been a pretender. Truth will be discerned at the judgment as the one who sees the secret places and the secret things of our hearts looks right at us and says to us, I don't care if you've been a deacon. I don't care if you've been a pastor. I don't care if you've been a good church member. Depart from me. I never knew you. How sad. How sad. The first steps down that dark hallway, separated from God forever. He came a long way to manifest himself to you. He walked on your street I told the men at the rescue mission this, this past week, I said, listen, you've been living in the street, but you know God knows about walking the streets. He does. He's walked past your little place. You might have lived in a, a gutter a little while back yonder, but God's, God's lived in the worst of places. He come this far to meet you, to let you know he loves you. He manifested himself. He lowered, he condescended himself, wrapped himself in robes of flesh, went through what, what every human goes through in order that he might relate and communicate and reach out to you. That's how much he loves you. But there will be a day, make no mistake about it, where you will be brought into judgment for the truth that you have been given. Truth will be discerned at the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die. And are you ready? 
for this appointment. Then finally, truth must be desired in our hearts. Psalm 51, 6 says this, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. I'm always convicted. I'm always convicted by three things. Uh, when I look at the biblical account of the life of Christ, I am convicted by the poor showing of people at the manger. I am. The Lord, through His angel choir, had to wake up the shepherds. It was just a small group that was there for the, the big reveal, the party, the birthday of the king. And I'm convicted at the poor showing at the cross. Just John and some women were there. Where were the disciples? I'm convicted by the poor showing at the empty tomb. It makes me wonder, folks. Now listen, it makes me wonder if at the rapture there might not be a poor showing too. By that I mean there might be less people there than we think will be there. I do know this, only those that worship Him in spirit and in truth will be a part of that number. Oh, let us hunger for eternal realities. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts. And in the inward part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom. This Christmas, can I ask you this? As you get, some of you already perhaps exchanged gifts, maybe some of you still looking forward to that. This Christmas, would you honor the Lord by looking away with your family for a time from the tree that sparkles to the tree that's blood-stained and rugged? From the gifts that tarnish and fade to the treasure that does not, from the children surrounding you that you love to the child who loved you, from the food that cannot satisfy to the bread of life, I encourage you to hold the child, the prince, the king. Look into his Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.